All right. Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week, we're going to talk to Rich Reinert, and he is in charge of the Wisconsin Muskie Expo, but he was also a guide in northern Wisconsin for quite a long time. And of course, we're going to cover the Expo, but we're also going to do a full episode with Rich because he has lots of Muskie knowledge to share with us. And so we're going to pick his brain on a few different topics. Can't exactly remember what they were off the top of my head, but we're going to go down that route. You won't just be infomercial about a, a show this week. We will definitely talk about the show, but then we're going to try to give you some tips and tactics to help you put a few more fish in the net this coming season. And speaking of musky expos, this episode comes out just a few days short of the Minnesota Musky Expo. So if you want, come out and check us out at the Minnesota Musky Expo this weekend after you hear this. If you're one of our three or five or seven loyal listeners that listens on Wednesday, you can definitely come out and see us this weekend in Minnesota at the Muskie Expo there. That'd be uh, the uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th. And then the final Muskie Expo, as you'll hear about in this episode, is the Wisconsin Muskie Expo in Rothschild, Wisconsin. It's just uh, a little bit south of Wausau, I believe. And it's a great venue. It's a great expo. You know, We'll be there with 50 feet of all the best stuff. We'll have St. Croix rods and Lakewood tackle boxes and RS nets and some drifter nets. So if you're looking to sh- save some shipping on some big items, we have it there on top of tons and tons of tackle. You know, we have uh, Musky Mayhem Tackle won't be at the show, and we'll have a full lineup of their stuff. So we're definitely looking forward to that. And uh, those dates are 17th, 18th, and 19th. And then, Brad, you know, we kind of you know, uh, talked about it a little bit last episode, but we are for sure going to be doing live podcast episodes on at both expos. We're going to do them on Friday night. And uh, the Minnesota one, I think we go till 8.30, so it'll be about 7 o'clock, and I think we're going to do that at the Muskie Mayhem Tackle booth. And then at the Wisconsin Muskie Expo, we will do that about 7 o'clock as well, and we'll do that out of the Team Rhino Outdoors booth because there's no Muskie Mayhem Tackle Expo or booth at that expo. My wife just said to me tonight, she's like, what are you going to do there Or tonight? She said that to me yesterday. She's like, what are you going to do there? You know, you don't have any of your friends there to podcast with. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll have to make new friends. (laughs) <laughs> I think you'll probably make it, Jeff. But, you know, one of the things that I would like to say is I'm really hoping at the Minnesota show, we have a few of our listeners, those loyal listeners that you were talking about. It'd be awesome if they could get involved in the podcast as well. I mean, get down there and ask us a few questions. It'd be awesome. Yeah, it would certainly make for a more interactive podcast. I mean, as you gathered from the one that we did in Milwaukee, We'll certainly manage to, you know, fumble our way through it with or without a couple people offering up some interaction with us, but we'd certainly love to have a little bit of interaction. So if you're there on a Friday night and you want to pop over to the Muskie Mayhem Tackle booth about 7 o'clock at the Minnesota show and about 7 o'clock at the uh, Team Rhino Outdoors booth at the Wisconsin show, you know, we'll certainly take questions from audience members. You don't have to be shy or any, any of that. You know, we'll give you a microphone. You ask us what you want. Heck, if you don't even want to talk to us, you can just text me the thing and I'll read the question off. But looking for a little input on what you guys want to know a little bit about. And, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you what the guide panel is going to be like because, like, we'll be in Milwaukee. We're just going to randomly be like, okay, you're going to come with me. <laughs> you're going to come with me. That kind of thing. So it's. Uh, yeah. And there will be guys kind of bouncing in and out of that whole conversation as well. And I think definitely, Jeff, we need to somehow, maybe they need to say their name before they start talking so it isn't maybe as confusing. 
it's fun. I mean, it was a really cool thing to do. And I think, uh, you know, you're going to have this guy's going to be there visiting with us for a minute. And then he might bounce out to go do something in, in the regular show platform. And we'll just grab somebody else. You know, there's tons of guys wandering around that show. We got plenty of people to talk to. Definitely. And obviously with the Minnesota one, we're going to be able to find some Minnesota guides and get things more specific to Minnesota waters. But, you know, as per per usual, just because you have, you're talking to a guide from, you know, Minnesota doesn't mean that people in Wisconsin can't, you know, broaden their horizons a little bit and think, hmm, maybe I could apply that in some of my waters. Same thing like when we do, you know, some of the stuff down south. We talked to some southern guides. Well, that doesn't mean that you can only apply that stuff to if you're fishing down south. You know, certainly think about what they do. Think about how you could apply it to... Uh, to your local waters or your, you know, wherever you spend some time and how you can catch more fish, you know, using some of those techniques from other parts of the country. Absolutely, Jeff. I mean, that, that's a muskie is a muskie is a muskie, right? So they still are going to react the way they react. You can learn from anybody from out through, from wherever in the country. That's truly uh, one of the cool parts about this. And last but not least, before we cut this intro, intro off, if you cannot make it out to a Muskie Expo in the next two weekends, make sure you check us out online. www.teamrhinooutdoors.com is the place you'll find our entire selection of gear. If you're not shopping with us there, I certainly hope you're going over to check out www.muskymayhemtackle.com. They have a ton of gear there from Muskie Mayhem Tackle as well. You can build custom items, lots of hats and t-shirts and all that other stuff there. So if you want to support us in any way for putting out this podcast, those are the best two ways to do it. If you're not shopping online, then certainly come out and check us out at uh, two expos. But Brad, I don't have anything else to add to this episode, so I think we should just dial up our conversation with Rich Reiner. All right, our guest this week is Rich Reinert, and we are going to talk about the Wisconsin Muskie Expo, but that wasn't the sole purpose of this conversation. Riches have, I don't know, Rich, what do you got, 40 years chasing muskies, so there's obviously a wealth of knowledge there. Actually, I've got 40 years within the muskie fishing industry, and then I've got 54 years actually chasing muskies. 17 years of that, I used to, I guided full-time in northern Wisconsin, so, you know, I've been around this a little bit, I guess, you know. Enough to where I don't make as many mistakes. Right, exactly. So we're going to go down that route. Well, let's kind of get you a background. We have we have had you on the podcast. We did one, oh man, I don't know when that was. That might have been pre-COVID, actually. We did a, a brief uh, talk about the Muskie Expo, but I don't know if we ever got the full background on you. Obviously, you know, you have a ton of experience, so maybe you dial it back quite a bit if you can remember. What even got you into muskie fishing? Well, I've been muskie fishing since I was uh, roughly six years old and i grew up in black river falls area in wisconsin in order for me to get in that boat with my my with my grandpa you know i he made me stand on the banks of the black river and made me cast until he felt that i was good enough at bait casting in order to put me in the boat from that point on it's been a blur i i had it in my head when i was in school i really didn't want to work like i think most people do when they get in this fishing business and then I realized that I had to do something to make money. You know, I, I put my time in on the water, you know, learning the water. I was very fortunate when I started in this business when I was younger. I had, I had some good influences there. I had uh, Tony Rizzo had taken me under his wing and Bill Tut. And uh, I've known Tony since I was 16. And that's kind of how the guiding part started. And that slowly grew. And then 
as time went on, then I went, uh, you know, I realized I had to do more than just guide. I had to be more, in this industry, I think you have to diversify. Wouldn't you agree with that, Brad? Yeah, I would agree 100%, Rich. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of young guys, and when they're first wanting to get into this whole guide business, honestly, I tell every one of them, the first thing you need need to do is find a good job. And the reason you need that good job is you need a foundation, something that you can rely on. And second of all, find a job that's going to allow you some freedom to go out and do the things that you want to do until you build up a credibility and build up a client list. No, I agree with that 100%. These guys come in this thinking they're just going to, you know, they're going to guide and the phone's going to ring off the hook. That doesn't happen. I never had to really work hard per se in the beginning because I had Tony Rizzo and he had such an overload. He kept me busy three, four days a week. Most people don't have that, you know. On the other side, you got some guys who've got a wife that's got a really good job. She's a nurse or some kind of executive, and so they're doing this. But if something should happen, you're stuck. It's not an easy business to be into. So, you know, when I say diversify, I got more involved in the in the tackle industry. And even to this day, there's I have my hands in a lot of things that the majority of people have no idea that I'm touching. And that's the way I like it. You know, as I get older, I'm 62 years old, you know, I still work as hard, you know, anybody does at a 40 hour a week job, you know, and, uh, and so I just, I mean, I've got to start cutting back because as, as you well know, Jeff, I've got some heart issues, serious heart issues that I'm dealing with right now, but I still, Brad, I know for a fact in the course of a day, you know, you're not out there musky fishing all the time. You're busting some hump, you know, you guys are making a lot. You have a, you got so many bucktails out there, you know, that you're making. There's another side to the tackle industry people don't realize. It's called the business side, and that's not easy. It's it's not an easy business. I think you would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely, Rich. I mean, uh, it's one of them deals. I think Al Linder said it in our 200th episode. If this is the industry you want to choose, just know there isn't a ton of money in it but you can make a decent living and you'll be blessed in many different ways. If you're interested in making money, believe me, there's a lot better routes to go. That's unless you're Jeff Woodman. I've never seen a man so driven and he's taken, you look at team Rhino. I'm I'm so impressed with him and what he has built with that company. You know, that you've done a great job with that, you know, Jeff. (laughs) It's funny because I literally took my first paycheck last year. So we're in business for, Nine years, and I took one paycheck so far, so I wouldn't say that I'm quite to that level. You know, we're getting there. I think this thing could finally start paying off here pretty quick, but much like you said, Rich, it's, uh, you know, Brad knows it, you know it, lots of hours in the shop, lots of time. It's not a business where if you you just show up and, and you want to work 30 hours a week that it's going to be real successful. It's Brad hates the word grind, but it is a grind, and not so much like it's a bad thing, it's just you got to be passionate about what you're doing and you got to want to, you know, put the time in. A hundred percent. It's just like with the Wisconsin Muskie Expo. Everybody thinks we whip that together and, and off we go. There's a lot of detail and putting together, regardless where the show is, everybody, there's a lot of, a lot of detail and a lot of work that is put into putting on a show. It's just, uh, if people, I would love to have, when I have somebody tell me, oh, I can do that. Anybody can follow in my steps someday. 
And it's not just me. It's also Mike Etzel. It's a lot of work. Anything in this business, it's, it's a lot of work. But we're all, I think we're all passionate about that. That's for sure. It has to be your passion. I mean, if you want to be in this industry, it's truly based upon passion. And I think that's what's unique about it. And it's not made for everybody. It is what it is, right? So I can tell you, you know, the, the beauty of it is, is it's very rewarding in many other ways other than maybe the financial side. And don't get me wrong, like I said, we make a decent living doing this. But, you know, the amount of hours that we put in, <laughs> it's extreme. And I guarantee you it's no different with you promoting your shelf. That's for sure. Well, I agree. I understand. I, you know, you know, being in this a long time, I can, only, I can really appreciate, I have a pretty good idea. You know, do I know? No, I don't. But I have a good idea approximately how many bucktails you probably put out there a year. And that is, to me, that is tremendous. That's, I mean, that's just an ungodly amount of work. And they keep everything straight. And it's hard. And people don't get that. They all want to be in the business. They all want to make baits. They all want to make union wages. You know, we see that with the, some of the prices today on some of these baits. But it doesn't work that way. Not if you really want to be successful for the long haul. And I think with Muskie Mayhem, you've done that. I mean, you know, you make a great line of bucktails. I mean, I make my own, I make my own bucktail. It's one bucktail. But I also, uh, people have asked me to make other different tails. But in actuality, why make something? I make one tail that I like. But then when it comes right down to it, I use a 7-9 trigger. I use a, a single, uh, you know, rabid uh, girl. I actually, actually, Jeff, in, when, before you come to the show, I need you to bring me a few of those and some more 7-9 triggers. So I hope you're going to have those. But I got some specific colors. So. You know, maybe afterwards I can, you know, you know, place an order with you and have those come in. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. When you come to the show. Oh. Okay. But I'll tell you that little, Brad, that little single rabid uh, girl, it's an awesome little bait when you need a small tail. Awesome bait. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. We had a lot of success on the rabid girls this past year as well. And, and one of the, the colors, I guess I would tell you to get rich is uh, Jeff has the Martian, which uh, is like a trans green blade with uh kind of a mixture of black skirt so definitely one that uh was really good for me this past season yeah well i'll, I'll you know i'll have four of those then on my order you know before you come to the show jeff okay sure sounds good i think uh -oh. we'll probably got them right brad i know brad uh, recently on your mayhem's ten thousand casts i think you guys were catching a couple fish on that it was fire that's for sure jeff <laughs> Well, I definitely need a, I need a walleye, you know, in the single, I need an Oktoberfest in orange. I need a candy corn with copper and then that, this Martian color. And then, uh, I think in the seven, nine triggers, I need a brown sucker and a purple tiger. I just got some, uh, I'm trying to think what color that was that I just got from here here recently, but I just had gotten some, but I, I definitely want you to bring some to the show. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's not a problem. Well, you know, we've kind of been uh, flirting around without talking about the show. Let's talk about that. It comes up on uh, March 17th, 18th, and 19th. And I like all the shows, but I guess the one there is one thing I love about that show, and that's the venue. You couldn't ask for a better place to have a show, I don't believe, and especially because nowadays, you know, finding a show that's connected to the hotel is, you know, I mean, priceless. If you come for a weekend, you know, you can uh, pretty much 
turn your car off when you get there and not, and not need it again for the rest of the weekend if you don't want to. Rich, why don't you talk a little bit about that too? And uh, and and let's also talk about this. You know, we've are, this by the time your show rolls around, it's the last one of the major musky expos. And you know, maybe there's we could talk about why people should come to the Wisconsin Musky Expo. Like you said, the, the show is the 17th through the 19th. The doors open up at 2 o'clock, you know, on Friday. So, I mean, it's going to be at the Central Wisconsin, uh, you know, Conference Center in Rothschild, which is basically a suburb of Wausau, Wisconsin. There's easy access. You basically bounce off of 51, you know, at the Rothschild exit. You know, it's basically right there. And the other factor is, of course, there's, interesting enough, all the hotels in that area right now, Jeff, are booked solid. We've got so many people that come from northern, the north suburbs of Chicago and Madison, Milwaukee, Portage, uh, you know, the Twin Cities. There's a nice mixture of people like that that come that they actually make it a weekend. And we can tell by the ticket sales, like the two and three day ticket sales as to you know, how, you know, how long these people are sticking around and the amazing thing, that number keeps going higher every year. A lot of people are showing up. We, ironically, we always seem to have the same amount of people. You know, the purpose of the show was there's a lot of people up in the northern area of Wisconsin and the UP and other places that just don't want to go to the city. That's all. And so, you know, a lot of people don't realize that I was the one that started the Muskie Expos. Travis Richardson and I, you know, went to Doug Reuter years ago, and I was that's when I was guiding Jeff, and I I didn't want to. I was busy guiding. I was busy working within the tackle industry. I didn't need another thing to do. So I sat with uh, Doug Reuter, told my idea. Travis was there with me, and the the Milwaukee Muskie Expo was born. And uh, from there, then the Chicago show started with Steve Statlin and, uh, and uh, Bill Davis and Mark Zeke. Mark Zeke used to have trophy fishing out of uh, South Bend, Indiana. And then uh, and George Wall came up with the Minnesota Muskie Expo. But the interesting thing, I worked with all these groups at one point, you know, at, at different levels to work with them on those shows. And eventually I just said, you know what? I'm just going to do, we started the Wisconsin Muskie Expo in 2012, and uh, we've been at it ever since. Um, you made a comment and asked about what makes it different. Basically, you know, when you look at the industry, I think you would agree, I would say Chaos Tackle, Muskie Innovations, Suic Lure Company, you know, those are some of the bigger companies, and they're definitely there. The thing that separates the difference with the Wisconsin Muskie Expo is we have a lot of small batch, you know, bait builders that come to the show as well. And yes, they're doing things right. They pay their taxes, their excise tax and all that stuff like that. You know, it, we check on that. But, you know, we've got guys like Indian Creek, you know, he makes marabou tails. And we got, you know, Rusty Custom Lures. And he makes a spy bait with, uh, with a tail spinner, which is, you know, very unique and is very productive. Um, Tom's Custom Musky Baits. He's there. Rocky Point Tackle, you know. This year, Musky Fool Fly Company is coming in. They're taking up a half an aisle, and, and fly fishing is getting bigger and bigger within the industry. And these are the guys to go to when it comes to fly fishing. They really got their stuff together, and they'll definitely be there with everything you could use for fly fishing. 
and, you know, and plus the knowledge to help you, you know, pick out the right equipment. And the other token, a lot of, we, you know, when you look at some other shows, you know, they're usually with some of the bigger stores, but what I've done differently with retailers is you, you of course are definitely there and you're a great addition to the show. You know, Jeff, you know, with Team Rhino, you bring a lot of custom stuff, custom colors, which and there's some merit to having these custom colors that you make. You've got uh, Taps and Tackle from Stevens Point. They're going to be there and, you know, with their lithium batteries and other stuff that they have, you know, available from their store. Of course, you know, Ross's Sports Shop is there. So, you know, that's really, you know, as far as retailers. Now, this year, Pete Stoltman from Last Cast Outfitters coming down, but he is focused on Red October Tubes. His booth is going to be predominantly red October tubes, so which is a big item in coming on strong in within Wisconsin. So that's the only retailers we've got. I guess my point is we've got a lot of smaller companies that show up. We have eighty-five vendors that will be at the Wisconsin Muskie Expo, you know, this year. That's the difference. We've got there's just so there's so many you know smaller companies that people are not aware of. And then you've got guides there, King's Real-Time Fishing, uh, Matt Ross, his guide service, Corey Olson, Noah Binsfield's going to be there. There's a lot of guys, and you know Noah. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he just was, I think he just aired on uh, Mike Key's Outdoors. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, I definitely did. Yeah, it was a great episode. Uh, Noah, he's a great guy. He really is. Noah is, a, is truly a legend, I think, within the Minnesota Muskie realm. It'd be nice to have, you know, Brad Hoppy come down and do a seminar at the Wisconsin Muskie Expo. What do you think of that? <laughs> I, I like it, Rich. You know, one of our biggest hangups is back-to-back shows just does not work, especially with as busy as we are with fulfilling uh, the box store orders. And, and that's the, truly the reason that we haven't ever shown up there. It just it gets a little bit tough. No, and I, and I understand that. I mean, you've got your hands full, and that's why I said I, we would love to have you there, but honestly, Jeff does a great job for you. Uh, when I need something, even myself, when I need something, I call Jeff. Like I just told him, I need some, you know, some, you know, some single girls, and I need some, uh, you know, seven nine triggers. You know, Jeff brings them, and he walks through on Thursday, and he's got the box sitting right there for me, ready to go. You know, so that's something that is really cool that Jeff does. Is he has a personal touch to his business, where a lot of companies just like take your money and put it on the register and run. He's, he knows his people. He knows his customers. And that's what's really, that impresses me a lot. Well, we certainly try to. It's getting harder and harder every day. Like I've, I've had customers come up to me in a booth and I'm like, I think I know your name, but I'm not exactly positive. Are you so-and-so? And occasionally I'm wrong. But, you know, as we, as the business grows, it, uh, it gets harder and harder, but we still keep, you know, keep trying to keep that personal touch. You know, I'll say a quick story, Rich, about your show. So I think it was back in, I don't know, I want to say it was probably 2015. I think it was like our first show season we had done. We had just done two shows. We did your your show and the Milwaukee Expo. And it was walking out of your show. I'm loading up on Sunday and I'm pulling out of the parking lot. And I just thought to myself, man, what did I do? I think I just created myself another job. And uh, it, it, it was that expo. I can remember it like it was yesterday, just driving out of there, you know, thinking to myself, because I mean, I was busy as heck wiring stuff and I didn't need a full time job. And I, I remember just pulling out of there going like, oh, shoot, I don't know what I just did. This might have been a mistake. And you're still there. And you know what? And people love you being there. 
You know, another thing we do and and that we try to do there is not only do we try to, you know, we've got giveaways as people are coming through the door. We give stuff away, you know, just little things, but to let them know we appreciate them being there. But we also try to take care of the vendors. And and yes, we are going to have that uh, that chicken this year again. Everybody, it was funny, you know, on Saturday nights, Brad, we we do a vendor. Uh, we Friday night we do pizzas for the vendors. So they, like as Jeff said, we don't have to to leave. We understand. I've been, been a vendor myself. I know what it's like. You get done, then you're driving out to go to a restaurant. So we make sure the vendors are taken care of on Friday night. Saturday night, we put on a little bit nicer dinner. And it was funny because Jeff looked at me last year on Saturday night, and he's like, Rich, I thought I just went to a restaurant. This food was so good. He couldn't believe it. You remember that, Jeff? Oh, yeah, I do. I was Like I said, it was a good dinner. It was nice because, like I said, we didn't have to go out anywhere. I mean... You know, especially, you know, it gets, it gets late at some of these shows and then your show, I always bring my kids with, and they're always anxious to get in the pool and, in uh, you know, hang out. So, uh, it's always nice to get, uh, to get a meal on, on Saturday and we don't have to go chase around and go try to find one. So that's, you know, if you're a vendor at the show, it's definitely a plus. We try our best. I, I think about the things that, you know, that are a pain in my rear end when I was a vendor. And so I, I, I'm trying to. You know, I look at it at that sense, too, so that everybody, both the people coming through the door as well as the vendors are taken care of. So we, we try to be a little bit different than everybody else. Yes, it costs extra money to do so, but it's worth it to us. I mean, Penny's, my, my wife's kids, uh, you know, Austin and Mackenzie, as well as their friends, you know, have come to that show since day one. And they're growing up in life. They're moving on with their lives. And yet... No matter what, they're always there to show every year. You know that, Jeff. I mean, those kids are being, are very successful in their lives, but yet they take that time off to make sure they're always at the expo. This is something Penny loves, and so we enjoy doing it for everybody and everybody having a good time, and so we're just going to keep doing it, you know? It's all we can do, and maybe someday we'll get Brad there. You call them kids, but I don't think they're kids anymore. I think they're like young adults now. Yeah, I know. But at my age, they're still kids, you know? I mean, they're, you're right. You're exactly right. It just blows me away. And uh, time goes by pretty fast in this business. And uh, I will tell you, Brad, he does a good job. He definitely has a full complement of your product at the show. You know, you're there. I know we're, we're always uh, appreciative of what Jeff takes, how he takes care of us, I should say. So, no, it, it's, uh, it's one of them deals where it isn't that we don't want to be there. Um, it's just a, it's a challenge. And managing time, as we talked about earlier, it's, it's not always easy. Yep. Oh, I understand that. The other thing you said, you know, he asked what's different is, you know, and I, and I don't mean this in any disrespect, but, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit different when it comes to speakers. You know, there's a lot of good musky fishermen and a lot of good guides out there. And so what I do is I try to gauge my speakers, you know, towards those guides and those type of fishermen. I mean, you know, there's a lot of bigger names in this industry, but I do play favoritism with, I think, the guides. One of the, guy, the guys that are coming in to speak this year on Friday night at 6 o'clock is Brian Klein. And I think you know who he is, Jeff? Yep. Yeah, he's, you know, he's like the, I don't know, I look at him as the nomadic guide. He's, uh, at least from what I see on Facebook and, you know, Instagram, 
a lot of people want to hear from him, but he's going to definitely be there on Friday night. Uh, Dan Gropengeiser, do you know him? Oh, yeah. Yep, Dan, I know him. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's going to open the show at 3 o'clock. And then we've got at 4.30, we got a Green Bay panel with Phil Stadola, Joel McClung, and Zach Stadler. And so if you want to learn more about Green Bay, why those guys will be there to, you know, give you some insight and answer questions. And then on Saturday, we've got uh, Steve Jonasy, and I've known Steve for many, many, many years. You know, he's up there in Iowa, and I think they get a chance to get on the water before a lot of us do in Wisconsin. So he'll be talking about that early spring time, you know, in Iowa. So that's what he'll be talking on. Uh, Dan Donovan from Musky Fool Flight Company. He'll be doing a seminar at noon. I'll be there at two o'clock. And then at four o'clock, we have Joel Walzak, Aaron Stack, Craig Ader, and uh, Brian Merrick. They'll be speaking. Sunday, uh, Nate Osfar will be opening the show on Sunday. And for people that don't know who Nate is, I think most of your listeners probably do know who Nate is. But uh, he's kind of like Merrill Lynch. When he talks, people kind of listen. Very successful uh, tournament fisherman when it comes to, you know, for muskies. And then at noon, we got Mike Keys. And I'm sure everybody knows Mike. I mean, I think Mike is about as real as they get when it comes to, you know, when you look at what there's, you know, like TV shows and, and YouTubes and stuff like that out there, YouTube. To me, I've known Mike for many, many, many years, and he's the real thing. You know, he's he's real and I enjoy watching them. And, um, so I'm always glad to have him speak at the show. And then the last guy we have at one thirty is going to be Corey Olson. And he's a guide out of, uh, out of Northern Wisconsin, up in Conover Eagle river area. He's one of those guys you don't ever hear about, but he's very good at what he does. So we've got a full group of guys speaking this year at the show. There's about anything you can imagine, you name it, it's there. Uh, and then some, most importantly, I want everybody just to have a good time. That's what it's all about. As with all the expos, we really enjoy that one as well, and uh, we're looking forward to coming out to it. You know, it'd be uh, March 17th, 18th, and 19th. And Rich, I want to thank you for uh, for going over that. Let's make a little transition. You know, we have, uh, you know, whatever, 50 years of, of musky knowledge here. It'd be uh, a best for us to pick your brain on a few things. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, in your your estimation, I guess I would say, or in your opinion, you know, what's something that's overlooked by many anglers that helps you put more fish in the net? I think really understand, and you can appreciate this because you're in this. I think understanding the baits that you're using. And what I mean by that, and I see this so often, and I'm sure Brad has also, especially Brad, because here he's, he has musky mayhem and he makes all these different bucktails. And some people, the first thing they think about is he's making these bucktails so he can make more sales. In actuality, he probably makes all these bucktails because they all have a time and a purpose. When I think somebody gets on the water, they don't take in effect that they, they're thinking about location, they're thinking about the season, but they're not thinking about the strike zone, you know, that, you know, as to when these fish react. People talk about muskies following all the time. I believe they follow because you're not presenting the bait within the strike zone that is that the fish, the current mood the fish might be in. 
Fisheries are going to be active, neutral, or inactive. And what governs that, of course, is the barometric pressure, which is governed by the weather conditions that you're having. I think, for instance, you know, you know, I told you I like using that single girl. You know, it's got a Colorado blade on it. When I'm using that bait, I found that in the late spring, early summer, that those fish are up shallower, especially in Wisconsin. That bait stays up easily. You know, and it's, you know, if the fish are active and I'm searching for fish, but yet it's, you got cooler water conditions, I like throwing that or a marabou bucktail. And usually with people in the boat, I usually have people throwing one or the other at any given time. At the same token, he's got bucktails that have got French blades on it that run in deep, that run in deeper water. And I'll tell you a quick story. I had to speak at the Capital City Muskies Inc. one, uh, one evening and, uh, and they're out of Madison. One of the buyers from the stores asked me to go out fishing with him. He wanted to see how I would approach a body of water. It was in early June. The panfish were spawning. The weather was fairly unstable. You know, the, you know, it would be storming one day, and the next day, you know, they'd have mile-high skies. It was just really erratic. You know, the fish are normally in that condition because I don't know that water that we fished on the Madison chain. I chose a French a French-bladed bucktail in a contrast of what I thought would match panfish. Long story short, we boarded nine fish that afternoon, and there was another guy who happened to be going to the club for the meeting. He was throwing a regular number seven fluted bucktail, which was riding higher in the water column, whereas the French blade was running lower in the water column. So the fish responded and we boated fish. He never saw fish all afternoon. So that's why Brad makes all these different bucktails because they all have their time and purpose. To answer that really is just understanding the baits, the tools that you're using, you know, when you're out on the lake. Yeah, for sure, Rich. I mean, you look at the whole array, whether it be just bucktails like you're talking about, or you go into the realm of rubber, you know, you brought up red October tubes. It's a different presentation on each different bait. And you definitely have to be aware of how that bait's going to work, where it's going to work. And I think you hit on something that's kind of, uh, it's always been interesting to me, and that's the strike zone, right? If you're just having follow after follow, are you too close to that fish? Do you need to back off that, that structure to allow that fish to have a little bit more travel time to, to make up its mind? Maybe you're not seeing any fish. Maybe you're on top of the fish. You don't realize that. I mean, there's so many different factors in this, but presentation is definitely something that is unique. And it kind of blows my mind a little bit, like talking to different people at shows and what have you. I don't think they see baits as that, as a a specific tool, like you're talking about. And I think, I mean, you could do a whole seminar. You could do a whole podcast on that, right? No, you hit it spot on. Yeah, Brad, it's funny you say that. I think today, in today's time, and this is not a bad thing, but I think a lot of the younger generation, you know, are spending so much time watching YouTubes. And I'm not saying that's bad because I enjoy watching them too. When I had the last, I had a massive heart attack a year ago, and then uh, I got home after open heart surgery, and that was my second one. It was definitely harder to recover. It was the, the, the YouTube, you know, uh, shows that kind of got me through the first couple of weeks because it took my mind off the pain. I sat and watched all these, and I think, 
you know, there's a lot of guys trying to get into that, but I think what's happening, the younger people are getting so engrossed in just watching YouTube. But back when I was younger, we actually wanted to figure something out. We said, okay, look, you've got baits here, okay? Why do the muskies eat these baits versus maybe not so much these baits? And we got our hands on high-frequency sound equipment, and we actually tape-recorded 250 baits. And one of the things that we found out was when a bait is tuned correctly, when a bait is, say, the density of the wood of the bait is correct, even though they look the same, they have different sounds. And we found a mid to low frequency sound and, or combined sound was more, more productive. And I, case in point, we had, I had two orange and black tallywhackers. One was a fish catching fool. The other one, I couldn't buy a fish on to save my life. The one that I couldn't catch a fish on, the wood was more buoyant. So there it floated higher in the water. And yes, the tail would spin. But the other one, the wood was more dense and the head sat down in the water. The water came over the back and pushed on the tail, which I got that deeper sound to it. So I started putting lead in the bellies and in the nose of some of these topwater baits. And, you know, as I, you know, a lot of the companies I'm familiar with, I, I would tell them my findings. The next thing you know, everybody's putting lead weight in their bellies and everybody's got a good sound and tail bait on the market, you know. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, I love to get into. And I want to know why, you know, why a bait, you know, catches fish and why they don't. You know, bucktails. I tune all bucktails. I mean, and, and it shows there's a difference in it when you tune them versus whether you, because when you make a ton of bucktails, well, I take that back. You look at a trigger, you're already tuning that bait. You're already got that tune. I put a little more bend, you know, to a trigger, and that thing rocks through the water. And the same thing with the blades. You've got a seven and a nine on a trigger, and people don't realize when you have a double 10, or you have a double eight, that, when that blade is spinning, those blades are kind of turning like a wheel. And, and, but when you mix up the blades, those blades are fighting each other and they're clashing all the time, creating sound and vibration coming through that water. That's why I think that trigger works so well. You know, it's all those little things that I don't think a lot of these younger people are looking at. It kind of goes back, I think we just said this the last podcast too, it's kind of been uh, something that we've said a bunch as of late, but time on the water and experimenting and doing the things that we do as fishermen, it's second to none. I mean, if you think about it, you could watch somebody fish all day long, you're going to learn something, right? But you're going to learn tenfold, you're going to learn doing it yourself. I think it's interesting too, I mean, for a lot of people, I think they're scared to tweak on a bait, you know, as an example, say a crankbait, right? They can't tune it. It's running one direction or the other. Don't be afraid. Start playing with it. Try to figure it out. You know, it's interesting. I, I don't know. It, it, I guess I would compare it like this, Rich. Myself, if I'm on a computer, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. But with a bait, I don't care. I mean, I'll just start tweaking on it. <laughs> No, I understand. I touched, I, I touched my wife's computer one time. I pushed a button. I don't know what I did, but I blew it up. I mean, literally, for two and a half days, a friend of mine came in and had to work on the, the box, whatever. I mean, I am not tech savvy whatsoever. Jeff knows that because I try to call Jeff to place an order because 
you know, playing on the computer, I suck. So Jeff's like, well, here, just try it this way and do that. But I always try to call Jeff because I just hate messing with the computer. You know, it's the same thing with fishing. You know, I, I, my, you know, I'll watch, you know, TV. I can watch YouTube on TV, but I'd rather be on the water putting my time in and learning these things through experimentation and time on the water than actually watching it. You know what I mean? That's kind of where it's at for me. And even at my age, I still, I just love messing around. I mean, if somebody asks me a question, my answer does, I don't want my answer to come from somebody that uh, told me something I want to know for myself. So I'm giving somebody an honest answer. Maybe someday I might get old and I may not want to do that. But for right now, I'm, I feel in my heart, I'm still 60, I'm, I'm 62 years young. I'm just going to keep, you know, doing what I do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that's kind of how a lot of our baits develop is doing that tinkering, right? I mean, there's stuff that we've worked on. As an example, the grenade, there's some people out there that have, have said that it was kind of a knockoff or whatever of, of a couple different particular baits. But that bait kind of came about with Larry Dahl Dahlberg, and I'm trying to think. I mean, this might have been 2006. He showed up at my place and we went fishing. Um, he had that lead head. But it was totally different than what I ended up building. Now, keep in mind, since 2005, I've been playing with kind of that bait. And we finally introduced it last year to, uh, to the public in a regular grenade. And now this year we have the mini. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, there's always stuff in the back of my head, maybe sitting in the shop. There's baits continually being tested and reworked and, and changed until I feel that it's the right way. and. Um, I love that part of it as well, Rich. And I, I think the further you go down the path of muskies, the deeper you go into that realm. People like to catch things on things that they make, made themselves, or, you know, they're tinkering with a bait that already exists. Like you said, adding lead to a certain bait. And, and some of these companies like Chaos has the Chaos weight system. What an incredible way, you know? And then there's the other system. I think Phantom sells them. Um, I can't even remember what they're called, but you put, basically put threads in the belly of a bait um, with a helicoil, and you can thread different weights into the bottom of that bait. Start there. I mean, that's a great way to start playing around and, and seeing what you can do with different baits. Oh, I agree with that. You know, the, the very first guy that brought that weight system on the market, his name was John Veltry, and he was from Chicago. And, you know, I think one of the reasons he's not in business today is because as much as he tried to promote it and try to explain to people what it was for, you know, he was before his time. And now all of a sudden it's being used all the time. And at least people will do that because all they got to do is screw the weight in. But, you know, that weight system has got a long history. Now Chaos Tackle, you've got Swick Lure, you know, company is making this stuff. You know, I mean, look at Musky Innovations. You know, they've got a weight system that actually fits onto the bottom of a bulldog. I think Chaos has the same thing, you know, for the Medusas. So, you know, these guys are providing the products, you know, to innovate, you know, that everybody do, you know, they can, they can, you know, they can change the bait, you know, with weights. It's just, I think a lot of musky fishermen are afraid to, really. And it, and it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. But I think, you know, one of the things, you know, and I mentioned follow-ups before, I think, 
if, if people were able to keep their, you know, their, their baits in the strike zone, they would turn those follow-ups into strikers, you know? I think just when there's some situations where a fish just is just off because of the weather and, or it just ate and it just, you're not going to get that fish to turn, but that's a, like you said before, that's a whole nother subject that we could talk about, you know, just by the way a fish is following as to what it's going to do, you know? Absolutely. You know, Rich, on the conversation of, you know, following, can you offer up any tips that would be, you know, if you got a you getting lazy follows. Is there anything that you think of or anything that you've noticed that you've done in the past that has converted those lazy follows? Or is it just sometimes that's just the day, you know, what do you, what can you do to get those, those lazy follows excited? You know, first of all, when I, you know, as far as lazy follows, I mean, you're casting a bait, you're bringing it in. So you get a follow up on say, you know, you know, a bucktail or, or top water or whatever. A lot of times, now, depending on how the fish is following, and you can read the fish, you know, is it, does it have its, you know, snoot in, into the bait? Is it backed off and down three feet? Is the fish swaying back and forth? There's a lot of, you know, behaviors that a fish, you know, you know has, you know, as it's following a bait. But I, I think some fish just can't be, you know, triggered. But I'll tell you a bait that I've used a lot. I've kind of kept it quiet. I mean, I haven't really kept it quiet. I just, you tell people and they think you're full of it, okay? But one of the baits I love to come back on with a fish is usually a jig and or a Pegasus. Chaos makes a bait called a Pegasus. I had a situation this past year that we were up doing some uh, taping, videotaping with uh, Vernon Eights. I was able to get out and do some fishing. Mile high skies, you know, beautiful bluebird day, definitely a high pressure system. We were moving fish, but couldn't get them to go. I take and I would I would go back in those same areas and flip a Pegasus in in kind of short cast those areas, and I would take and rip that bait. And I'm telling you, we took a day. We were on the water for three and a half hours. That's all I could handle. And that's that. I guess you know what does it take to be a fishing on the water? I can only put so much time on. The, you know, I've spent a lifetime fishing muskies. And then all of a sudden, I'm starting to kind of put a few things together in my life. And now I'm getting so, and I'm getting older to where, you know, with my conditions, it's hard for me to put 14 hours on the, on the water. I'm going to put four. So I got to make those four hours count. But anyways, I'd flip that, that Pegasus in the direction of those fish and I'd, I'd rip them back or I'd jig it back in those fish's face. We took, and we took in three and a half hours, boated five fish. And one big walleye, where in other words, most people wouldn't have caught nothing. I'm not saying the Pegasus is a magic lure, but it's a lure that's not utilized. You know, this grenade you're, that you make, you know, Brad, would be another one of those baits that can get in those fish's face. And it's stuff like that that'll make a difference, you know, on fish that are following, you know, getting in their face. That's what I try to do. Well, that ties right back, Rich, to the conversation earlier, you know, and a time and a place with a particular bait. So it's spot on. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, you know, you know, you talk, you know, the same thing with color. You know, Jeff, you and I have had a conversation about color. I told you about, you know, how we had access to high frequency sound equipment. Years ago, I had a friend of mine that worked for a hospital system. He was an optometrist. 
and he was in charge of research and development. And what he would do, he would come to me. He was a musky fisherman also. And, and he, he, back in the day, he, you know, he asked us if we had a fish that died or somebody wanted to mount a fish, which happened back 30, 40 years ago, he would ask us to keep the eyes from a fish. But long story short, he had 37 sets of musky eyes from taxidermists, myself, another guy, different people from different bodies of water. Interesting thing he learned. Now, remember, this guy's an optometrist and he, he has the equipment, you know, to re, you know, to actually research to see what a fish sees within his eye. The one thing he found out, number one, in those 37 sets, every one of those sets of eyes, those fish were nearsighted. Every one of them were nearsighted. So that was kind of interesting. Two, muskies do see color. They see fluorescent green, like flowage green, Chippewa flowage green, uh, just like that transparent green, you know, Brad, that you're using on your single girls. They can see orange, fluorescent orange. But then when they look at pink, believe it or not, pink has got a whitish orange color to it. You've got, you know, white, but then is white, but then chartreuse is white in a fish's eyes. You know, black, blue, red, all have the same contrast. He showed me all this stuff, and he even broke it down to what a fish sees underwater, depending on the clarity of the water. And I was after him for so long. I said, man, you've got to write a book about this. And he said, Rich, for the money you make off a book, he goes, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with the debate. And he goes, and if I do write a book, I have access to millions of dollars of, of equipment here my company's going to fire me and take away my pension. So I was like, I got it. But, you know, it's stuff like that that we've had access to through the years and the 50 years that I've been in this that you learn a lot of stuff from. Jeff, if you look at the baits that I've gotten from you, they're always usually fluorescent green or oranges in white mix, correct? Yeah, I would say, and a lot of them are uh, contrasting colors, which is, you know, something that I've tend to do. You know, we do a lot of oranges with blacks and, you know, whites and blacks and things like that. And we use black in quite a bit. But, and I mean, I'd like to say at some point that has some something to do with some of the success that we've had. Well, exactly. It's, it's not because of the color. It's because of the contrast the color portrays. But I always try to make sure that the baits I use have got, you know, orange or some kind of green in it, usually, or a mix of, you know, black, orange, white, uh, green, you know. I try to make sure all those, those two colors are there. Copper. Copper is a big color that it's the most visible color to a muskie. Copper, as far as blades go. You know, silver blades have got that white finish. Uh, nickel's got more of a gray tint to it, but orange holds its color, green holds its color, chartreuse turns white according to the, you know, the computers that I looked at with him. He, you know, he took the time to show me all this stuff, and I just wish there were people still like that around that could do that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? You learn a lot after 50 years. Problem is, you get older and you can't, you know, you, you spend a lifetime learning this, and all of a sudden... You know, I get to, I put four or five hours in the water and I'm spent. I've had enough. You know what I mean? People don't understand that until you get older. Believe me, the, the golden years are not so golden. You got to be tough and you got to be survivor as you get older, you know? 
Yeah, that's that's a fact for sure. Um, fortunately, I, I got a little ways to go yet, but I, I can understand that. You know, nobody told you that getting older wasn't going to be... Everyone thinks, like, as you get older, everything's going to be fun in games, but it's not always fun in games. Well, I could never... When I look at what I've done in my lifetime, Jeff, you know, of the places I've been, fished, the things I've done within the musky tackle industry, if I would have waited till I retired, there's no way I could have lived the life that I have and done the things I have within, you know, musky fishing and and within the business. If I would have waited till I was retired, I would have never, I, I could never duplicate what I've done. And I've been so blessed and so fortunate to have done this. And, you know, I've met a lot of great people at this, you know, through the industry, you know, through the show. I think at the show, you know, people have their lives. But I think at the same time, when they're at that show for the weekend, I think everybody's a family. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that for sure. You know, we've done a lot of cool things in this industry and, and you're going to keep it going. And there's a lot of younger people that are coming up. are going to keep it going. And, you know, Brad's got a daughter, I think. I think she makes some custom colors. Hopefully she'll keep it going and, and it just keeps evolving as time goes on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the beauty of it is, is I'm starting to see a few younger guys getting back into this whole thing, you know? It's an expensive sport, right? It's not something that somebody right out of high school can just jump in a boat. We talked about it earlier with guiding, you know, it, it takes time to get to that point where you can actually make a living guiding. It's dedication, it's passion, but I'm excited to see some of these younger people kind of jumping into the industry and actually getting after it. And it's, it's always exciting. And, and that's, there are future, the future is these younger people. And so, you know, whether it's managing the stocking programs and managing the waters that we all love to fish. It's presenting them with different ideas and thoughts. And this podcast, I think is part of that. And I know that that's why Jeff and I originally talked about this, you know, it was Jeff's idea. And fortunately for me, he, he invited me to tag along as a co-host. We're trying to give back to the community. And I, I think that goes back to the, the show that you're running as well, Rich. It's uh, those shows are giving back to the musky community and the new anglers and not only the new, but also some of the old veterans as well. There's always something to learn in this industry and that's the beauty of it. I agree with you hundred percent. And that's the way we treat the show. You'd be amazed at the money that we give back to the area musky clubs in that area. You know, that, you know, Bill's musky club, you know, the consolidated musky club, uh, 12 apostles, the Wasa area chapters, muskies Inc. They're doing some great things, but what people don't realize is how much money they give back with stocking of fish, uh, equipment to the DNR so they can, you know, like I think uh, the Wisconsin Muskie Alliance gave back, a, bought a uh, fight boat, you know, for the DNR. If they wouldn't have had that, they couldn't afford to, to buy it themselves or it wasn't in the budget. So, you know, these muskie clubs are really important. I see them. I see the people that belong to them are aging. We got to get these younger people back in, you know, to some of these clubs and, and, and have a voice as to what's happening with our resource with muskie fishing, because that is the future. You're exactly right. And I, I definitely, I've been involved in some youth programs for, for creating fishing as a passion. And uh, it, it's so important. It truly, truly is important. And 
I don't know. The only way that I can say is you got to build a foundation with that, right? Take some kids out fishing. Kids all want to go, you know, and, and make it fun. It's supposed to be fun. I think a lot of times uh, as parents, sometimes we can cause some burnout. And I know a couple different clients of mine over the years, they said, yeah, I go, where's your kid? He has zero interest in it. I think I ruined him, you know, and make it fun. That's, that's a big part of this whole gig and it's supposed to be fun. So definitely things that, uh, that you need to consider. No, you're, you're exactly right. You know what I do? A lot of people, they go, man, Rich, you get a lot of baits. I mean, at your age, people don't realize, you know, I'll throw a bait for a while. So let's say, okay, like this, uh, you know, my, you know, Jeff's going to put an order together for me, uh, you know, to bring the show and I'll throw those baits, you know, to where there's, you know, there, you can tell they're used, but at the same time, you know, they may have a couple more fish left on, per se, okay? Eventually, they all baits come apart, you know? It's just the nature of the beast. What I usually do is I take those baits and I give them to kids. And I give a lot of baits to kids. I give a lot of baits off to seminars that I hold. They just If it's just that one thing that gives them a little passion, a little excitement, I like to pass that on to the younger kids. So... Yeah, we all have our way of doing that. I think, you know, as old timers, I think we can, uh, we can, I'm hoping that our future is bright in the musky world so that, you know, they'll remember us when we're not here, but they'll also keep it strong, you know, for years to come, you know? Yeah, I, we do the same thing, Rich. I, I share a lot of bait with a lot of kids and if you're at a show and there's some kids walking through the booth, a lot of times I'll ask them what their favorite color is. Boom, I'll hand them a bait. We probably hand out more stickers to kids, and I always give them a little bit of grief, and I tell them, yeah, go take that sticker and put it on mom's fridge, you know, <laughs> things like that. But oh, that's awesome. Uh, I want them to enjoy the shows as much as I want them to enjoy fishing because, I mean, it's twofold that way, right? I understand that you have another... So another venture, you got 10,000, Mayhem's 10,000 cast. Yeah, that's correct, Rich. We do. Well, I'm going to be looking forward to checking that out because there's, there's some great YouTubes out there. And I think, I, I, I believe if you're the one doing it, it's going to be, it's going to be top notch. And so I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing some of the episodes. Well, I appreciate that. It's been a fun deal. I'm, we did uh, five pilot episodes two years ago so it aired last winter and now this year we did 12 episodes next year or this coming season we're going to film 13 and we're both on youtube as well as kotv which you know mike keys has done a really good job with that and if you have any kind of roco device it's real easy you just look up mayhem's 10,000 cast you can download that and have that app right on your tv or your your smart tv or your box as well as you can go right to kotvchannel.com and uh, watch them there if you'd like. So it's been really fun. We're learning a ton. I'll be honest. Um, I'm not necessarily a professional video uh, editor by any means, but I'm learning some stuff. And same thing as musky fishing. When I'm learning, I'm having fun. We're not stopping. We're just going to keep this train rolling. Yeah, I think that's awesome. You know, as I said, I'm moving back to Wisconsin. I'm in the process of moving back which is going to you know, allow me to come to more of the shows. And I'll definitely have to stop in and see you and, and, and visit some more with you because uh, I hear so many great things about you, Brad. And, you know, you know, not only just as a person, but 
you know, some of the fish that you're catching and stuff. So I would enjoy spending some time and, you know, visiting with you more. Yeah, absolutely, Rich. That's what it's all about, man. And I don't know, I, I kind of planted a seed and I, I know Jeff is planning on doing the next podcast will be right at your show. I might try to make the journey over there just for Friday so I can be a part of that podcast as well as uh, checking things out. So maybe you'll see me in your neck of the woods here in a couple of weeks. That would be awesome. We would look forward to having you. Brad, you officially let the cat out of the bag. That's uh, definitely something that we're planning on doing. Uh, we did it in, we did it for the first time in Milwaukee. We're going to do it again in Minnesota because you'll hear this episode, you know, a few days before we hit the Minnesota show and we're going to do it in Wausau rich we're going to do that uh live podcast we're going to record one and we won't air it live but we'll record it live in the uh in the booth on friday night we'll do that as well i think your show runs till is it 8 or eight thirty on friday night i can't remember the show runs it, go, it opens at two o'clock and the doors close at eight o'clock uh saturday it opens at nine and we'll go till 6 p.m and then after that there'll be a lure swap at six thirty in one of the other rooms and then on Sunday, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Excellent. So, yeah, so it'll be that Friday night. We'll probably do that, uh, I would say, right around that 7 o'clock time frame. So if anybody's at the show, they're interested to stop on out, we sure, we, you know, we'll we'll take questions if there are people. If not, uh, the group of guys that we assemble there, I don't know who we're going to assemble yet, but we'll, uh, you know, we'll certainly uh, address a few different topics and uh, try to give some people some more knowledge to arm themselves for this upcoming season I and mean, some people are already efficient but most of us still have seasons hopefully that'll be something cool and you know brad if you make it that's great and if you don't we'll find a suitable replacement for you there no absolutely i i realize that jeff i i just think it would be kind of fun to get over there and, and actually not have to really work you know that that would be a change for me i it's been 20 about 20 some years that i've went to a show and didn't have to actually work it. So it might be kind of interesting and be kind of fun. You know, it's funny you say that, Brad, because I feel the same way. I mean, to, for me to just go to a show and just enjoy it and talk with people. I mean, this coming year, and I'm sure you're familiar with ICAST. It's in Orlando. This is going to be my 29th ICAST show. And I, I just told one of the, menu, one of the companies today, I think next year is it. I'm done. 30 years is long enough. You know what I mean? Makes perfect sense. Uh, running shows and running around the country doing shows, it, it's challenging. There's no question. And it takes away from all the time that you need to be putting in in the regular shop. So it's important to have a crowd and it's important to, to see the people. And I think that's probably what I enjoy the most about most of these shows is the interaction. And you're networking. You're communicating with other fishermen. You're hearing some of the things that work for yourself throughout the season in other people's mouths, and they're having the same experiences. And it's amazing what you can learn at these shows, not only by going to seminars, but just visiting with people in booths. I think a lot of people come to a show for that very, I mean, the guys that know, I hear some guys say, well, you know, I bought my baits already online and, you know, I don't want to make that trip. But there's a lot of people that do because you can look at people one-on-one. You get to meet Jeff Whitman. You get to meet John Carlson. You get to meet you, Brad Hoppy, at these shows, or John Kwasiewski from Lake X Lures. He's, he's going to be at the Wisconsin Muskie Expo. It's the only show that he, he's going to this year. And you got other guys, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you ever seen that Bucktail of the Day thing that Indian Creek does, but, you know, Judd will be there, and he's quite the character. Any of these guys that 
that Nate Bates or guys like Noah Binsfield, this is your chance to come in, talk with these guys, you know, enjoy their time. And they're, they're going to be straight up. They're honest with you. They're going to help you to the best of their knowledge. And that's what a musky show is all about and getting together with people and the one-on-one. So now that's why we do the Wisconsin Muskie Expo. Do we make a ton of money doing it? No, we don't. We could make more money in a part-time job, but we're not going to get the same enjoyment we do as putting on that show. That's why we do it. All right, Rich, one last question before we get out of here. You know, we talk a lot about uh, patterning, knowing when to change things up. Let's just say, for example, you've thrown, we'll say, we'll go with the trigger. We've talked about the trigger a bunch in this episode. You're throwing a trigger all morning long. You don't move a fish. You don't catch a fish. You know, a guy in the back of the boat, he's throwing something else too. You know, what's the appropriate length of time before you change up? Will you change up? What's your thought process on that? First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look at my weather conditions. I've got, you know, like I told you, I'm not very tech savvy, but my wife has seen me through on this and helped me. But I've got several apps, you know, that I can watch the weather, the barometric pressure and what's going on. I think through the years I've learned basically, you know, have a pretty good idea whether the fish are going to be active, neutral or inactive. So that is going to be how I choose what bait I'm going to use to start out with. So let's say I'm not producing very well. You know, what I'll usually do is uh, I always keep a bucktail, you know, rigged up, whether it's a, uh, you know, rabbit girl, whether it's a Rich's Ambush, whether it's a 7-9 Trigger or a Indian Creek Marabou Bucktail or Noah's Bucktail, whatever. So I use that for searching. But if, if I'm not moving fish, I'll usually go to a minnow bait, and I would say I would give it probably two hours hour and a half to two hours, or I'll intermix. I may drift an area. I may be fishing a location, and I'll come through with a bucktail. I may come backwards through that area. And if I don't move anything, I'll come through with a minnow bait, or I'll come through with a glider. So if, if uh, when I cover an area, I don't just fish it one time and then move on. I make sure that I thoroughly cover it with, you know, a couple, two or three presentations before I leave the area. And so that will determine how big the area is, whether it's a flat, whether it's an isolated bar, you know, you know, and there's a trough that drops off that comes up to a, a, a rock hump, you know, it all depends or a stump field. What will determine is I will work an area two or three times. And then once I feel I've worked it and if I don't see a fish, then I'll move on. Did that answer your question? That is absolutely perfect. Okay. Rich, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to uh, talk about fishing and talk about your your show. I hope everybody has a chance to come out and uh, check us out. You know, we're going to be in the Minnesota show. Like I said, this this episode will come out uh, just a couple days before Minnesota. So it'll be March 10th, 11th, and 12th for Minnesota. And then the uh, last but not least show of the year is the Wisconsin Muskie Expo. And that'll be the 17th, 18th, and 19th in Rothschild, Wisconsin. Perfect venue awesome hotel accommodations you know easy in easy out that kind of deal so uh definitely looking forward to that rich and you know again i just want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule and you know we'll catch up with you again in uh in a couple weeks you know hopefully uh if you have time at some point this uh spring or summer we get you back on and and just talk fishing 
Yeah, well, I would love to do that. Matter of fact, I like it better. We just might as well come and get, get in the boat with me, and we'll see if we can't put a another uh, lunge in the boat. You know, it's definitely a possibility. Time is always short in the summer, but you know, we'll definitely see what we could do. And uh, you know, like right. I said, we'll catch everybody out at the uh, Wisconsin show, and we'll be doing a live episode there, and we'll also be doing a live episode in Minnesota. So, I want to thank everybody for taking their time out of their schedule for putting up with us for another episode, and we'll catch everybody again with a new one next week. Mm-hmm.